0: Why do we sometimes look at Jesus as a last resort in times of need? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are continuing our survey of the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, which I'm very excited about because you can never get enough Jesus. Exactly. And if somebody says that you can, you need to rebuke that person. That's true. And whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's always more Jesus to get. That's one of the reasons why we do the Gospel Project, right? Is uh, we want people to see how Jesus is the point of all Scripture and how all of it fits together to, to tell us about him. But um, the, the passage that we're looking at today is, is an interesting one um, because it involves a couple of healings and it's preceded by a, um, another astounding kind of miracle as well. So let's jump right into this passage, into our passage today. We are looking at Mark chapter 5. We're particularly focusing on verses 21 through 43, but um, we'll probably jump around a little bit as well. So how about we jump in and let's set
1: the scene. Okay. Well, if you have listened to our last episode, we're actually working backward at this point. Last episode, we looked at one of... of the miracles that happened later in Jesus' earthly ministry. This one's probably about at the midpoint of his ministry. And if you kind of just kind of thumb through uh the text surrounding this one preceding it primarily, what's going on here is that Jesus has taught, uh, he's used many different parables of the kingdom before this. And then he leaves this large crowd that had been hearing him teach. He gets in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And during that crossing is when he calms the storm uh, that we're familiar with. He lands in the Gentile portions of that area. So crossing uh, the Sea of Galilee from west to east. The eastern part would be more Gentile regions. He lands there. He casts out the demons uh, from the man who was possessed. That's, this is the one where he casts out the demons into the herd of swine. He is chased out of that area by the people because they just can't process this. And so he gets back in a boat and crosses the Sea of Galilee again. When he lands on the Jewish portion, this is where he encounters a large crowd, which is where we pick up today.
0: Right, right. And so as we get there, so what happens is, of course, when he gets there, he is met by um, a man named Jairus, (laughs) who is one of the leaders in the, in the synagogue, in the community there. And this man has, has a pretty serious issue, doesn't he?
1: Yes, he does. As, as fathers, this one is one that really strikes deeply to us, of course. And it's because his daughter was deathly ill. She was on the the verge of death. And, and so as a dad, I've, I have two sons and a daughter just thinking about his position and the, uh, the heartbrokenness, the anxiety, everything he was experiencing, you know, you just feel for him deeply.
0: I couldn't imagine being in that situation. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful. I've got pretty healthy kids. Um, you know, they're, they're odd little people, but they (laughs) are, but they're lots of fun. And, um, you know but to be in that position where you know he is he is running to Jesus and he's saying my little daughter is dying come and lay your hands on her so that that she can get well and live and so this just he he expresses this tremendous faith there that he's he's coming to Jesus and he's like this you're the only hope that we've got here
1: yeah, and this, you know, you just use the word faith or, or believe that's also used in this t- passage. It's at the center of these encounters. Mark intentionally puts uh, this healing, this raising of this girl, along with this healing of the woman we're going to meet in a moment, um, they are put together because they both lift up the faith of the individuals really, really clearly.
0: So as we see in this too, you know, we do encounter this, this woman who has had this... M- a very long, um, history of, of this condition that is causing her to bleed constantly basically. And so she's tried everything and she, um, she sees Jesus and she's like, this is my only hope. If anyone can, can heal me of this, it is him. Um, and, and those are, those are some just really powerful things that yeah. we see.
1: And even beyond that, as uh, you know, she, She says, man, if I just touch his robe, that she recognized that Jesus had such great authority, such great power. If I can just touch his robe, it would be sufficient. So an amazing, amazing level of faith demonstrated by this woman and, and Jairus who we're going to see again in a moment.
0: Let's dig into a a couple of things here. You know, we've, introduced, uh, Jairus. Um, we're going to just assume that's the right way to pronounce his name because fast and confident, those are the secrets. Exactly. So, um, we have mentioned that, you know, he's a synagogue leader. He's, he is one of the, the religious leaders. He, um, you know, he's a, he's a layperson actually, not, not even a rabbi. Um, but he helped oversee the, the running of the synagogue. Um, and, and of course it's very clear from the text, um, and from parallel passages, he's a respected person in the community. And so when you look at this, when you're, when you're studying this passage, one of the things you want to pay attention to is the fact that he runs to Jesus, which is, is kind of an unusual thing just in and of itself. Respected people tend to not run off to other people. Um, but not only that, but in Mark, it says that he begged him earnestly. Now, think about that. Think about someone who's super highly respected, who has a reputation in the community, getting on his knees and begging for help. That's a big deal. That's something that that we need to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, great humility expressed here. And again, we understand it, it's because he, what he was experiencing was so full of grief. It was so challenging to him, so difficult. He was willing to do virtually anything. Um, and so that drove him to humility. And, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but as we think about you know, helping others understand and, and, and respond to this passage as we're studying and discipling, man, we need to strive to, to experience humility at a much, much less prompting, um, you know, it's where we want to be living in a, in a constant posture, a state of humility, um, in full recognition of our need for God in full recognition of how great God is, um, and so forth. But yeah, we, just great humility, which is driving his great faith.
0: And one of the things that's amazing too, is, is you look at Jesus's response mm-hmm. and there's no hesitation at all. It's just, yep, I'm there. Let's go. We're going to, we're going to, your daughter is going to live. And it's not even a, there's no question in his mind. He's not like, I'm going to try, I'm going to see what I can do. And maybe it'll, maybe things will shake out. He's like, no, she's going to live. And so they go. And, and, and again, in that spirit of getting ahead of ourselves, one of the things that we do have to remember is that when we come to, when we come to God with our needs, we shouldn't, we shouldn't come with this spirit of, um, hesitation or this, this, um, this expectation that we have to, that we have to convince him to help us. He's ready and willing. All we have to do is ask. Yep. And so let's, uh, but let's, let's get back into, you know, kind of exploring some of the big ideas in this passage here. So uh, we mentioned the woman who was in the crowd in this moment where there are, the text says that people are pressing in all around Jesus. And so it's almost impossible for him to, to really move because there's just so many people around him. They're basically mobbing him is is really, is really, I think the imagery that's kind of there. And yet this woman comes in and she touches his, his, the, the, the corner of his garment and, and what happens?
1: Well, and and immediately she is healed. Um, Verse 34 says that her faith made her well. That's what Jesus explains um, we know that power goes out of Jesus immediately, verse thirty, and so she's made well. Now, I've always found this interesting. To kind of think about, you know, Jesus' question. He he stops and says, "Who touched me?" Um, and you know, the, some other his disciples say, "Wait a minute, th- this is absurd." Jesus, who didn't, like, who touch, who didn't you? touch you? Didn't know, touch you? <laughs> everybody, I mean, there's a huge crowd. What are you talking about? But, but he says, "No, who? You know, somebody touched me because he recognized for this purpose." So. Was Jesus aware of what was happening? Um, if you read this kind of on a surface level, you might assume, no, he was not aware. He just was aware some that that somebody touched him but did not know who or anything like that. But another way to kind of see this is maybe he did. Maybe he was fully aware. His question was more to uh, give her an opportunity to kind of come forward and confess and so forth. So, you know, just got to be careful there. But as we're reading this, as we're sitting to consider that, this may not have been a true question of ignorance. Uh, it may have been a question of prompting.
0: And I think one of the things that we need to remember here is, as well is, is that – you know, in every moment, at at every at every point in his in his life on Earth as a human being, Jesus was both fully human and yep. fully divine. So, he he may well have known exactly what was going on, and we shouldn't. And just the awareness that existed there—that he was aware yeah. that power went out of him at all. Yeah. So that's that's a significant thing. Um, As a side note too, we shouldn't, uh, this is not one of those passages where um, we can, we can poke fun and rip on the, the disciples a little bit, as many, as, as many opportunities as they give us. Yes. They actually asked a reasonable question here because like when they're like, who hasn't touched you right now? Um, They're not being, they're not being ignorant doofuses in this, in this case. They're just, they're, they're like. Are you okay? Do you, do you need a nap, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's a little bit more of what's going on here. But um, as we look at this passage, let's, um, let's dig deeper into this encounter and think about how Jesus addressed this woman. What's significant about that?
1: Yeah, if you notice in verse 34, he calls her daughter. And this is the only time that is used in the Gospels. Uh, so, while Jesus may have used that term with others at times that's unrecorded in the Scripture, we know the only time it's recorded in Scripture is here. And it seems to be he's using this term of affection uh, to comfort this woman. Clearly, she's afraid. You know, it says in, in verse 33 that, you know, you know, with fear and trembling, she came and fell down at Jesus. So she is clearly afraid, visibly afraid. And it seems like Jesus, out of his compassion for her, of course, is immediately with that just introduction daughter that tender loving um, way to address her it just really to me it reminds me of the great love the tender mercy of christ Um, and as we read through the gospels as we study through the gospels and work through them we have to just keep that in mind there are times where we're going to see jesus being very forceful especially with the jewish leaders of course uh, there are going to be times where he um, he will do things that seem utilitarian-ish. Uh, he will goad the Jewish leaders at times, prompt them into a discussion and debate at times. Um, again, he performs these miracles and he's like, hey, I'm doing these so you know who I am. But we have to always be careful to remember that Jesus was driven by love as well. His own glory matters, the glory of the Father matters, but also the love God. Of the people whom he came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. So here, this is another great um, reminder of that. That just this this tender moment of Jesus referring to this woman as daughter.
0: One final thing that we need to recognize too is is um, you know what was what was significant about what Jesus said to Jairus after his daughter had died, and they they'd had people come running at them and saying, "It's too late." She's yeah. dead, Jesus. You can you can go on your way now. And not because they were being, you know, cruel or callous or anything like that, but just because they were like, well, there's nothing. There's nothing
1: that can be done. Yeah, She's say, dead. Yeah, it's too say, late. Yeah, they say, why bother the teacher anymore? Yeah, it's like it's it's over. We missed.
0: It. Yeah, it's it's this very like resigned kind of. Well, I guess, I guess that's it. Yeah. So what does Jesus say to him, though? Well, he says,
1: don't be afraid, only believe. And we see this interchange between fear and belief in this passage several times. The, the woman was afraid, even in her faith. And, and we'll come back and visit that in a minute. But uh, only believe. Now, the way that is constructed, it is in the present tense. It's called a present tense imperative. Imperative is instruction. Present tense. So it could be translated, keep believing. Keep believing. So why is that significant? Because it seems like there was still some semblance of faith in Jairus. He hadn't given up. Given up. Even if the crowd came to him and said or the others came to him and said, "Hey, it's too late." It seems like something within him uh, was not willing to ad- acknowledge that there was still a kernel of faith perhaps or at least an opening. And so Jesus says, just keep believing, keep believing this moment, keep believing as we continue walking to your house, keep believing when I go in there, just keep believing. So again, it shows the centrality of, of Jairus's faith. It lifts up faith, which is a big part of, of this passage. And, uh, you know, just again, has this comparison and contrast between fear and faith. So of course we
0: we do see as they come into the house we see this incredible picture. Jesus goes up goes up into the bedroom. There, mo- um, after going in, he's seeing people mourning and wailing and crying and doing all of these kinds of things. And he's like, "Get out! She's not she's not dead. She's asleep." And they all and in. In some of the some of the versions of this story that are in the Gospels, um, there's actually a reference of, to people laughing at this idea. They're like, no, this guy's nuts. And yet he's like, Nope. He takes Jairus, he takes the he takes his wife, he takes a few close people, including his disciples, and they all go up to the to where this girl's body is. And Instead of inst- – and he doesn't do anything showy. Instead, he just gets down. He holds her hand and and says, little girl, it's time to get up. Yep. Like he's waking her up at, at, after a nap. And Immediately she got up? Yeah. And, and then he's like, get her something to eat. And then it's like, now don't tell anyone what happened here. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question. Why does he – this is just one that it always – gets me every time it shows up. Why does Jesus not keep saying to people, don't tell anyone what happened?
1: Yeah. You know, I've heard a couple of explanations on that, that, that kind of resonate with me. One is that he did not want word about his miracles and what he did to spread too rapidly, too widely and become the focus so that people, and we already see this, we see this happening over and over again, where people come to him just to be fed or, and so forth. And so it seems like, it, to some degree, he may be trying to con- to prevent um, his reputation from growing too broadly and losing the focus. The other explanation I've heard is he did not want to escalate things with the religious leaders too quickly because it wasn't his time yet. Um, the crucifixion at this point, we're halfway through the mirror or through his uh, ministry, so it was probably a year, year and a half to go still. Uh, and so he just, Hey, let's, let's keep things from amping up too hot. That's also why we see him moving in and out of Judea at times. Things will get hot in Judea with the religious leaders. So he'll say, all right, let's, let's get up to Galilee. Let things settle down a little bit more. We see him say this at another time. Hey, I'm not going yet. It's not my time. So this timing issue may have been also part of why he's telling people at times, Hey, don't tell anybody. Let's keep this quiet.
0: As we, so as we look at this passage, one of the other questions that we've got to ask is how does it point us to the gospel? And there, there are there are at least a couple of ways in there. I mean, one is one is kind of a gimme, in that um, you have this visual representation of what Christ ultimately does um, in in our lives with the little girl in that she's physically dead and is raised from the, from, from death. We, um, when we believe we are taken from the death that is ours in sin and brought into life. Um, and when we physically die, we will, we will rise again too, because of Jesus and because of what he has done for us.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the other one is, again, we, we we can't dismiss the emphasis on faith and belief in this passage. And, And when we study this, I think one of the key takeaways getting us to the gospel is our faith matters. But the object of our faith matters more. And of course, that's Jesus. So faith, it's not the quality of someone's faith. It's the object of one's faith. Uh, We are called to come to faith with the faith of a mustard seed. Uh, Just a small amount of faith in a great God can do amazing things. But we also understand that God desires for us, his heart is for our faith to grow, for us to, to grow in our trust in him and our awareness of what he can do, who he is. And so we see here uh, that Jesus is the one who has all power. He has power over the infirmity of the woman. He has power over death, power over sin, which is, as you are saying, this points us to the greater healing, the greater uh, life that we've been given over sin and, and death from it. But also we see this this factoring in of faith that we've been called to trust in Jesus, to come to him in faith and saving faith, and to live out following him day by day in faith. That's why that phrase, keep believing, uh, it is something that we need to take to heart day by day, no matter what's going on. We know there's a lot of crazy things happening in our world. 2020 is going to go down as the year of craziness. And so this is a great reminder, only keep believing no matter what.
0: All right, Brian. So let's think about this passage. We've talked about a lot of different things that are big, important takeaways from from this whole passage. Let's put some let let's let's think about some action that we can take. What kind of guidance, particularly as we're discipling other people, what kind of guidance can we offer our listeners as they are looking to work through it through this? in some kind of discipleship context
1: yeah I think one of the things and, and we've intimated this a few times this this contrast of faith and fear but also there's a comparison uh, they they can coexist and I think this is really important that we don't super spiritualize this and we we can do that at times we can Uh, We can come with something that maybe has some truth to it and super spiritualize it and bring harm to somebody, especially somebody new in the faith, somebody who's growing. And what we don't want to do is make this seem like it is an absolute um, either or. Either you have faith or you have fear. You cannot have both of them at the same time. Now, let's be clear. Faith should drive out fear. Yes. Do not fear is said quite a bit in scriptures. But we're super spiritualizing if we conclude then it is wrong for any believer to experience any fear. What we have to understand is it's a process. It's a gradual process of growing in faith. And as our faith grows, fear gives way. What we want to do is meet that person who is newer in his or her faith, especially, and not guilt them for feeling fear. We want to coach them, encourage them to turn away from that fear, turn toward faith, and let that drive. But what we don't want to do is make that person feel like a failure because they do experience real fear. You know, again, we'll reference as a father of three kids, this is one thing I want them to understand that courage is not necessarily the absence of fear, it's overcoming fear. And as we grow, then that fear can and should diminish that's something again i think it's just really important that we help younger believers especially if you're discipling kids if you're a newer believer that we give them latitude to grow out of fear and into faith at the same time
0: along those same lines we we do have to remember that that we can we can turn to god with those with those mm-hmm. fears and with with those things i mean remember a a really important (laughs) verse in scripture is lord i believe help my unbelief yes the two the two can come can be can be together in the same person at the same time it's what do you do with them which one which one is your master basically is is the issue and so that's so i'm really glad that you have uh confronted and and challenged that that tendency to over-spiritualize, to say, well, you know, I'm a bad Christian if I'm afraid. Yeah. It's like, no, it means you're a person.
1: Exactly. And, and, and you're okay to be a person. Exactly. And that should drive you to to the gospel. That should drive you to consider, you know, we, we've gone through this quite a bit. I mean, all jokes aside with what's going on in our culture right now, um, you know, thinking about, you know, viruses and think about sickness and, and death. Again, just going back to being a parent, it's hard as a parent not to be afraid of what might happen if one of my kids gets this, especially with one kid with immune issues. Um, but it's this time has forced me as a father, as a, as a disciple, to deal with that fear, to pursue faith and let that faith overcome that fear. Um, and that's what it's designed to do. Whenever we feel fear, it should be driving us to the cross. It should be driving us to Christ.
0: In that same thinking, um, this kind of takes us back to the question that started off our episode, which is which is um, why do we sometimes look at Jesus as our last res- as our last resort? So, um, when we are thinking about how to dis- like as we are wrestling with this passage and discipling other people, something that we should recognize is is that Jesus may have been. A last resort for this for this woman, and may have been a last resort for Jairus, but that doesn't mean that he should be our last resort. So, we should be really fair to her. Again, um, Jesus hadn't been ministering for the whole time that she had this ill had this illness, um, this condition, um, and she may not have had an opportunity prior to this moment to be with him. But there is this this notion that that prevails within our culture within and i think especially in western culture there's this idea of what some people have jokingly called the sixth sola so sola bootstrappa so so the the solas are kind of the five core the big theological tenets of the reformation that took place in the 15 and 16 hundreds well because we are very much a um do what you you know basically self-made person kind of culture um we we value ingenuity we value um you know the the whole rags to riches kind of story. There is this idea uh, that, that, that travels into, into, um, into the faith inadvertently in some cases, or becomes, you know, an, an entirely alternate religion under the guise of Christianity. That is basically, um, God helps those who help themselves. And, if you can't help yourself, that's when you that's when you go to God and you ask Jesus for help. Um, but that's not what Jesus wants us to do. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. Again, like we said early on in this, we come to Jesus when we need Him, and we ought to come to Him first because He wants us to. He's not. He's not going to. He's not going to turn us away. He's not going to say no. He's going to help just like he helped Jairus. He didn't hesitate. Yeah. He's ready and willing. And all we have to do is ask.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is we see Jairus and we we talked about his humility before, and, and we don't want to misunderstand that humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. It's thinking greatly of of Christ. It's thinking more of Christ. It's it's understanding that who we are, we are of infinite value because we're beloved by Christ. We are made in his image. We are declared righteous and so forth. But even all of that, it drives us back to the goodness of God because its that's only true because of him. So humility is thinking rightly of ourselves in relation to rightly of, of God. So it, we distort humility. We misunderstand it if it drives us toward this impoverished posture toward God as if Oh, he's too busy for me. He's, you know, too important. I'm not important enough. Uh, he doesn't care about me, little me. No, that's not humility. That, that's a warping of it. So, yeah, this, it, again, it may sound like it's antithetical, but it's not. We come to, to God in great humility with great expectation.
0: All right, Brian, I think that is a good place for us to wrap this up for today. So uh, thanks for chatting about this passage. It's been really helpful for me, um, and I hope it's been helpful for our listeners as well. And uh, on that note, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com we yeah. yeah.